look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popwich. How you doing, buddy? I'm terrific. You? Uh, doing all right. Doing all right. What a, what an interesting week we had in the markets. Oh, I thought you were going to say snow and stuff. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, how many times can I complain about snow? I live in Calgary. I'm a Calgary uh, veteran native. I think I would be accustomed to this. I think the older I get, the yeah. more uh, the lack of tolerance I have towards snow. Maybe this is the reversion to the mean. <laughs> Hey. Oh, oh, that's, that's crazy finance talk on, on weather. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyways, we won't go down that path. Sorry. That was funny to me. I know it's not funny to anybody else. No one. Like, absolutely no one. No one's laughing. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if we started some accidents on, on Deerfoot Trail because that, that joke was so bad. No kidding. Somebody's angry. Sorry. Send your hate mail to Faisal. Uh, okay. You know, uh, there's a lot of people that have a health history in their family that would include uh, heart disease, heart, heart attacks, heart failure, those kinds of things. We've got a Toronto startup. Um, that is producing or developing some software that can help predict and hopefully at some point prevent heart failure. We're going to talk about that today. Stick around for that if that's uh, part of your health, your family's health history. And then uh, you can save on taxes by spending more time in the United States. What? We're going to talk to a cross-border tax advisor, get, get their opinion on, uh, on how that actually might be <laughs> beneficial to your retirement. Wow, you're in a good mood, my friend. Yeah, it tells you kind of the week we've had. It was a long week. And let's talk a little bit about that. We had more um, uh, uh, disruption in the U.S. administration in terms of personnel. We had uh, a, a Canadian dollar that's falling. We, of course, had more worries about uh, protectionism and uh, specifically targeted towards the Chinese. Where do you want to start? Yeah, let's let's talk about it from a macro level, the concern that I've been having about this. And I've been mentioning it on the, on the market reports this week, and I've also been talking about it to our clients. Um, one of the biggest concerns that are out there is protectionism, yeah. is global trade war. What, what the U.S. government is doing is taking a page out of Ronald Reagan's books Back in back in uh, the Reagan era, um, what what he was doing, especially with the Japanese auto workers, were were basically trying to do a, a individual tariff program against uh, Japanese imports of right. vehicles that was trying to protect the uh, U.S. auto workers, right. and um, and it worked to some degree because the Japanese uh, agreed to reduce the number of imports coming right. in. So there was some sort of of, of agreement there. Um, that that being said, forty years later. Yeah. Um, we have a problem because it's more global than it was back then. It's not just about one product with right. one country. It is unilateral decision-making by one side, and then they're trying to renegotiate the other. Now, when it comes to a country like U.S. and China, those two being the largest two economic superpowers in the world, um, if they get into a nasty fight... Mm -hmm. There's a problem. Now, yep. the markets don't think so. Right. The markets right, right. now, and I'm Agreed. speaking of the stock market, the currency market, even the bond market, are not signaling um, we are in trouble. They're, they're signaling that, that Trump is just negotiating, right? That's, that's the way the market is looking at the language and the posturing coming out of the Trump administration right now. Yeah, and let me, let me kind of walk through how some companies, individuals who go through a lot of bankruptcies... <laughs> I'm not uh, mentioning any names. Try to negotiate. <laughs> and let's say, Dave, I owe you $100. Yeah. 
And it's more I, than that. And I tell you, you, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> and, and you're not getting that money. See how I'm negotiating, right? So then you say, okay, you're not going to give me any. Give me, give me something. Okay, yeah. I'll give you ten. I'll give you ten bucks instead of that hundred bucks. And you're like, no, no, that's not good enough. Yeah. And then we agree to some number. Let's say thirty dollars. Now you go back to your your constituents and say, hey, guess what? We got thirty bucks back. Right. We look good. Right. I go back to my constituents and say, see, I just saved us seventy dollars. Right. You know, vote for me. Right. <laughs> and and this is the kind of negotiation off the bottom that that happened. And so I think the markets are catching up to right. that. That 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 concept of okay, we're going to negotiate, even though I'm, I'm going to shoot across the bow and say I can't pay you nothing. Right. And then you're going to come back and say, pay me something. Let's let's sit at the table because if I owe you money, you're going to be nice to me. Right. You're not going to be mean to me because I'm not going to pay you anything. Right. Right. So when you be nice to me. We can negotiate. I can get it for 30 cents on the dollar. You look like you're happy because you went from zero to 30. <laughs> I look even better because I went from 100 down to 30, and both of us are happy with our constituents. So there's, that's the approach I think is happening. I think um, the markets are starting to see that. Uh, they're factoring in that it's um, bark, no bite at this point in At time. this point. Um, there is a change of administration, so that will, that will cause confusion. But this is all noise until we start seeing policy. And we've been talking about NAFTA, NAFTA, NAFTA for how long? Yep. Nothing's been done yet. But, you know, and, and NAFTA is an interesting one in terms of the timelines. They're trying to get this done, you know, expectations before April, or it's going to have to be after the Mexican election in November. But, you know, NAFTA took years to negotiate. Now we're talking in the order of months to do this. We'll, we'll see if they, can, if, if they can pull something together. If anybody knows, and I think you should know this, when you tear down a house and yep. rebuild, yep. it's a lot different than, rebuild, or than building a house off of yep. a raw piece of land. Yep. Right? So... This is what NAFTA is. We're tearing down something that we have and right. rebuilding it. There's a lot of things we got to figure out before we can rebuild. And so yeah. uh, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. NAFTA is not going to be decided overnight. It's going to take a long time. And the ramifications of that are going to be seen uh, over the next generation. Yeah. And so we cannot make a decision about how my stocks are doing based upon what could happen with NAFTA or what could happen with China. We have to base it upon what's really there. And unfortunately, the stock market sometimes is too forward-looking and gets negative. So I, I, I actually think we're going to have more volatility this year. Uh, we need to. I think uh, yeah. last year wasn't... There was none. There was none. There so was none. And to have the volatility index being at, at this low period and to see it still shoot up 41% in volatility yet still, still be, be very low, low yeah. tells you that we've got a long ways to go. I, I'd like to see a bit more volatility because that's where the, the economy is. And it, you know, it, it, it has an impact on companies too. And I, I did a story on, um, on the uh, aluminum and steel imports uh, tariffs in the U.S. and how that might affect a big manufacturer like Boeing, who clearly uses certainly a lot of aluminum, maybe less steel. Um, and in, in the entire aerospace industry, so if we extrapolate it over the entire aerospace industry, you know what the total increase in expected production costs was going to be to a $100 billion industry was two-tenths of 1%. Yeah. So it, it wasn't huge. Now, Boeing being a big player in that space, they were maybe three-tenths of 1% was the estimate that I saw. But that, that's not the impact. The impact is on the potential trade dispute between China and the U.S., mm -hmm. Because 22% of Boeing's planes go to China. And so you saw Boeing really tumble on the day that this, you know, this tariff, the $60 billion talk between uh, U.S. And, and China. So there's going to be volatility. There's going to be company-specific volatility depending on what you own. Yep. Yeah, what you own and what, you're, uh, you know, what you think they 
potential outcomes are going to be there. It makes it interesting. It makes it interesting for stock pickers like yeah, you. Yeah, it makes it an opportunity. I, I like when companies get nailed in the market unfairly because then I get to go shopping and pick them up at a yeah. cheaper price. And I've been doing that with some stocks out there. There's some names that I do like, and, and even though the market hasn't fully valued it uh, the way I see it, that, that's what makes me more money over time. Well, that, exactly. That's what makes a market, right? If we got everybody on one side of the trade, we got a problem. Yeah. So at least there's two, you know, uh, on two sides of the trade. Uh, okay, so I thought that was a, a bit of a, an extension, a continuation, right, of uh, what we've been talking about last couple of weeks. So we don't need to, I think, uh, continue on that. Let's talk a little bit about our upcoming seminar. Yeah, so all these risks that come up in the market and the economy, all the political stuff that come out, um, how do you put a portfolio together to protect you and to grow while you go through retirement? Biggest concern people have is running out of money. So how do you make sure in all this stuff yep. that you can have a good strategy, a, a solid approach, maybe a five-pillar approach? And we'll talk about that on Tuesday, March 20th, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits. Now you need to reserve your seat. So give us a call, 966-8400, 966-8400, or you can go online to register and go to More Than Money Radio. Okay, you know, we talked at the top of the hour a little bit about if you've got health history that would in involve heart disease or heart failure, heart attack or something. Yeah, if you do, stick around for this because we're going to, after the break, talk about a, a Canadian company that's pioneering software that could help predict a dangerous health condition. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money. Welcome back. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money. You're here with Dave and Faisal, and we talk a lot about... Um, we talk a lot about health. We talk a lot about technology. We talk a lot about lifestyle. And again, we're gonna. This is a show about pulling everything together, man. Trying to make this stuff work because we know that uh, technology is a bit is a great disruptor. It's disrupting in every single space that you can you can think of. And you know, medicine is uh, is no different. We've got lots of uh, a technology like the Internet of Things allows people and companies to monitor right. Um, and this, this push towards AI, artificial intelligence, and machine learning allows that to become predictive and tell us when things might fail or needs servicing, right? Correct. We see a lot of that in the industrial world. The question is, it can work? Can it work on the meat machine that you and I are? <laughs> right? Can we pull it together? Can it's it do good. that? Right? Can well, technology on help? most of us, not on you. But on most of us, well, I'm sure it can. I was going to say not on you because of your <laughs> chunk of coal of a heart. But oh, we're going to wow. talk. About <laughs> We're there already. Eh? We're going to find out. We're going we're gonna to try to pull those things together, those thoughts together. We've got Brad Johns with us today. He's a partner at Yelltown Partners. Yelltown Partners is a Vancouver-based uh, financing company. He's financing a project that we find very interesting. It's a company called ThoughtWire Corp. Um, and it's an internet software startup company that's raised some money. And they're trying to expand the research around the automated early warning systems that uh, for heart, heart attacks and heart, heart failure. So uh, I'm not going to do justice to the explanation. We're going to let Brad help us on that. Brad, welcome to the show. Nice to be here. So I am interested in hearing a little bit about this. You know, we talk about technology as, uh, as the great disruptor in every business. It does appear that there are certainly uh, disruptions and changes that technology presents in the medical field. Tell us a little bit about, uh, about this project around monitoring heart disease and predictive heart failure. So um, basically ThoughtWire is, as you mentioned earlier, an Internet of Things um, company. And the initial market that they moved into was healthcare. And um, around the um, monitoring of uh, heart patients, and and essentially what they're doing is they take um, data from very variety of sensors, including uh, human inputs. So nurses and doctors using their their application um, can input uh, data as well, and they take a um, call it a snapshot of all that data. Another term for it is a digital twin of that data, mm -hmm. and then they can. 
uh, in real time continuously monitor the real time patient against that digital twin and then using uh, machine learning um, algorithms uh, they could start to look, see, see changes, and do and make some predictions around the the health of that patient. So let's talk a little bit about. Uh, I mean, that that sounds interesting. Tell us a little bit about how effective it is. Yeah. I was reading the article, and there looks like sort of, there, you know there's some some good numbers here. But kind of walk us through what we're seeing or what you're seeing. Well, um, so you saw in, in that the article you're referring to is in the Globe. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 deployed right now in Hamilton and a, a variety of other hospitals, and they're seeing, um, you know, they're they're seeing uh, tip, typically what happens is if if you don't catch this early enough, um, you, you know, with a with a cardiac arrest, it's it's about uh, only three percent of of the patients that go to a code blue. Are going to are going to survive. So the sooner you can catch, um, you know, the, the the problem there, the the more people are going to are going to survive, and also the you're going to reduce costs within the hospital as well. So, um, I mean, Hamilton has has had this out at the Hamilton General Hospital, and I mean they've had it uh, out for a couple of years here, and um, they've reduced their code the number of code blues by by more than forty two percent. So they're seeing. You know, pretty good success with with the with the product. Yeah, um, is there any estimation of? Uh, I mean, there's going to be obviously with those kinds of numbers uh, an impact on life saving lives. Yep. Um, is, is there, are you guys doing any estimates of what this means to the healthcare system? Uh, does it save costs in the system by you know by predicting this and catching people before they go? code blue i don't know if you've done any work around that so just ask well i mean we have i mean uh, the 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 hospital has though and and the doctor who's you know uh using the product or leading the uh, the the uh, installation of the product again at the, at the hamilton general hospital they're they're estimating that you know by reducing those code blue um admissions they, you could see around 630 million in say you know in reduced costs in right. in Canada alone so yeah and you know Faisal, you know I've talked on numerous occasions and sort of different uh, uh, focuses on on healthcare that technology likely has to be one of the solutions here to deal with the you know the coming demographic wave that we're going to be facing Right, the current system is going to be under a tremendous amount of pressure, and so we have to be doing things differently. And if you look at what's happening down in the states as well, with all these companies getting together, look at Berkshire Hathaway, so Warren Buffett. Yeah. You look at Amazon, J.P. Morgan, yeah. uh, Microsoft's building up their apps. Sorry, Apple's building Apple, up their yeah. own. Like these are, this is the future. They have a big problem in the states when it comes to healthcare. Uh, with the cost programs, we have a problem because it's publicly funded primarily, and so we've got concerns. So if we can trim the cost, increase the efficiency, um, detect things sooner, prevent a lot, For sure. that, that's just a win-win-win. And this is the type of stuff, unfortunately, I, I don't have a, the confidence in our government to get this done, right. uh, but I think uh, there's companies like this one here that, that's going to help uh, detect and help a lot of a lot of Canadians. Yeah, well, we talk about preventative, right, predictive and preventative, and that's, you know, each of us has a responsibility in our own lifestyle choices, but technology can also help in those particular, you know, in those particular cases. Brad, I want to I want to get your a sense of um, where you see the technology going, so or what the timelines are. So they're testing it in certain um, limited applications, I would imagine, in certain hospitals. Well, how does this thing roll out? What what is the timeline of introducing a new technology to the Canadian healthcare system? I mean, in the healthcare system, one of the challenges is it is a longer timeline. So um, you know, it's you're dealing with. You, 
individual hospitals have some uh, ability to, to roll out um, their own solutions, but a lot of the times it's driven by you know provincial mandate, yeah. so it can take take longer to roll out. Um, I think the key is getting some of these successful um, pilots or installations going um, and as proof points, and that just may, that'll make it easier for other hospitals to, to get on board and for you know the um, provincial uh, um, organizations to get on board as well. Yeah. Okay, I want to leave it at that point, Brad. I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing uh, yet another sort of technology disruption in an area that uh, I think is going to become critically important to all Canadians as we move through. You know, we all start getting older, so as a demographic, I appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me. been joined by Brad Johns, partner at Yaletown Partners, and talking a, a bit about how to predict, um, you know, code blues, heart failures. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they're obviously, if those numbers are correct and, at Hamilton, and they're extended. And you got a 42% predict, you know, uh, um, preventative code blue. That's a quality of life issue for sure. But for sure. there's got to be a, a cost savings to the Canadian healthcare system in a whole bunch of different ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, it should be uh, important. This is one of the biggest fears that people have as they transition to retirement. You realize your your mortality. Your friends are going through a lot of stuff. You have family members that you may be taking care of. And so the impact or the unknown of the healthcare system, the future of that, um, will you be able to afford some of that stuff? Because, uh, you know, a lot of people that we sit down and talk to uh, or we give second opinions have the view that that the government won't be able to support their their healthcare needs in the future. And so they'll have to pay out of pocket. And there comes the the question of, can I afford that? And what does that look like? And that's what, you know, some of the stuff that we have to talk about. It's one of the buckets that we keep on talking to uh, our clients about. And we'll touch on that as well on, on our seminar on Tuesday, March 20th, 7 PM at the Crowfoot co-op wine and spirits. Now you need to reserve your seats for this. So give us a call 966-8400. That's 966-8400, or go online to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. You ever thought about uh, you know moving down to the United States? I know we talked to lots of clients that enjoy the climate down there, mm-hmm. and, and think about that. Well, did you think that that might actually be able to save you taxes? That's now two reasons to move away from you. <laughs> I've got now two reasons to leave Calgary and stay away from you. This is well, fantastic. If good weather and saving on taxes catches your attention, stick around after the break, because we're going to talk about those two things. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money. Welcome back. You're here on uh, 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Uh, you know, Faisal, we talk about um, taxes. We talk about after-tax income. We talk about travel. We talk about all these things. you think there's a way we can combine everything into one? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Go for it. Good luck, my friend. <laughs> all right. Well, we've got uh, Matt Altro. He's the president and CEO of MCA Cross-Border Advisors. And Matt's going to talk with us a little bit about how spending more time in the U.S. during your retirement might actually benefit you from this perspective. So an interesting article. Matt, first of all, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. So let's talk a little bit about this. Um, you know, we read an interesting article, uh, and there's a number of points you put forward. But I, w- I want you to walk us through how spending more time in the U.S., your thesis here, uh, in retirement could actually be a benefit to Canadian retirees. Okay, great. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting. So many of our Canadians, especially this time of year, are hiding down south because of weather, you know, getting in the Sun Belt, Florida, Arizona, California, beautiful places to be. Um, But, you know, they can only spend about six months a year down there before you start to run into problems with U.S. immigration or the IRS from a U.S. tax point of view. And so uh, most Canadians are kind of counting their days and wishing they could spend more. 
Um, it's interesting to note that if you are able to achieve a, um, a, an immigration strategy to allow you to do that, and I'll talk about it in a minute, you can actually find ways to save money in retirement. And that's because we all know that in Canada we, we're famous for hockey and for taxes, right? We, <laughs> we pay a lot of tax up in Canada. And, uh, you know, in some provinces up to 54%, 53%. In Alberta, it used to be the lowest. I know it's gone up quite a bit more recently. So in mid to high 40s, uh, a retiree uh, is looking at a pretty high rate of tax in retirement. What's interesting to note is that when it comes to your RSPs, you can actually uh, withdraw your RSPs at a much lower rate if you were a non-resident. And what I mean by that is, you know, for an RSP, it's always a great plan and, uh, you know, to, to contribute. You, you contribute it and you get a big tax deduction when you do that, gross tax deferred. But when you take the money out, as you guys know, uh, you pay tax at your marginal rate. So high 40s or whatever it is for uh, high net worth clients. As a non-resident of the U.S., if you're able to achieve that status, you can actually take your RSP out at a much lower rate. Canada will let you take it out at 25 or even 15% tax. So as a non-resident of Canada, you're saying? Yeah, you've got to be a non-resident of Canada. So that's from a tax perspective. So in order to do that, um, you're, you're basically going to have to find an immigration strategy to allow you to become a non-resident. And, you know, there's three basic ways that, you know, Canadians are able to spend more time in the U.S., getting either a visa or a green card. And, and those three routes are either a family-based option, mm-hmm. As, you know, maybe they've got a U.S. citizen who's an immediate relative, um, or maybe it's an employer that's transferring them or going to job down in the U.S., get a visa, or an investor category. Some people who are retirees want to invest, and you can become a passive investor in certain investments and get a green card. So if you're able to achieve one of those kind of immigration routes, um, and it's for, for the retirees and probably more like the investor or the family-based, uh, then, you know, you can, you know, start spending, you know, eight, nine months in the U.S. and still have, you know, your three or four months back in Alberta to enjoy your family and the, and the summers. Um, but then you're not a tax resident anymore in Canada. And if you're not a tax resident anymore, then you don't pay tax to Canada on your worldwide income. So whether ongoing income, uh, you don't pay tax to Canada, you only pay to the U.S. And then with the RSPs, as I mentioned, you now have a much lower withdrawal rate when you tax rate when you withdraw the money. Can I just jump in there and ask a couple of questions there? When you're sure. talking about the 25% tax rate being a non-resident, um, yeah. we're, there's a certain type of individual, certain type of wealth or income that an individual has with, that when they're in retirement uh, is receiving more than a 25% average tax rate. So can it give us an idea of who is this targeted for? Like, I don't think it's the average person. Do, or do you or do you think uh, every Canadian should look at this? Well, you know, first and foremost, you want to do this you know, type of uh, plan if you really do want to spend, first of all, more time down there. You want to have that motivation to, to spend. If you're a snowbird and you're counting your days and you're wishing you could do eight months, that, that's got to be the primary motivating factor. The sweetener is the tax savings, and it's definitely there. So, you know, who's going to get the best tax savings? You're right, in, in sense, Fazl, it's going to be higher income earners um, because the higher your income is, the, the higher the rate of tax, the, the more tax savings there is on the U.S. side. Um, you know, the, the, there's on, on ongoing income, you know, there's tax savings all the way 
uh, up the graduated tax rates in the U.S. versus Canada. So, you know, in the case of the 25% average tax, like you just mentioned, um, I'm, as I said earlier, that Canada will let you take out your RSP at a, a lower rate, either 25, and there's a way to get it down to 15%. So, you know, 15% versus 25, even that person is going to have savings. But when you're up at the high 40s, then the savings become very, very astronomical. You know, if couples got a million-dollar RSP between the two of them, you're looking at almost, you know, 35, 30% savings on, on that income uh, when you take it out in retirement. And here's another one. Uh, everybody's familiar with the OAS, old age security, right? That's, and if you're not familiar, it's the, it's the pension that Canada gives um, when you turn age 65. If you've been a resident for most of your life, you get uh, old age security, which is about $7,000 per year. So let's say 14000 per couple. High income earners unfortunately, do not get to keep any of that because of this thing called OAS clawback. And I know you guys are well aware of it. Um, So a lot of your wealthy clients never see a penny of the OAS. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and it bothers them, right? It really Mm -hmm. irks people. um, It just sounds bad, clawback, right? So the interesting thing, again, is as a non-resident, if you're no longer a resident of Canada, you still get your OAS. You're you're eligible for it. And there's no clawback, even if you're a high-income earner. Okay, and there's and there's some differences. So, listen, if anybody's interested in this, I think you got to get proper tax advice for sure. Uh, and you know, Matt, I, I'm sure you'd agree with that because different states have different tax rules too. Like in California, if you're going to end up down there, California could be a punitive tax rate, you know, versus uh, say in Arizona or a Montana or something along those lines. So it's it's there's some complications, but it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting approach to thinking about how to liquidate RSPs. For those people that have, you know, significant wealth. Absolutely. Uh, there's some more technicalities into, into how the U.S. will tax. And I was talking about the Canadian rates. Yep. And what's really fantastic, though, and I'll try not to get too complicated, but the U.S. side, it, it, and the reason I didn't go into it in too much detail is because the U.S. side, what they do is if you have the million dollars, if you're not, let's say you're not a U.S. person, so you're a Canadian resident, Canadian citizen, you move and you have a million-dollar RSP, you cross the border, and then you start to withdraw it. The IRS will not tax you. You get a bump up. They will not tax you on the capital, on the total amount of that million, of the amount that you already had when you, came, when you crossed into the U.S. So it's only the growth thereafter that they will want to take some tax from. And because you're going to pay tax to Canada and you're going to have foreign tax credits, you'll be able to offset any U.S. tax owing on any of the growth. So uh, the reason I kind of just didn't go into the details yep. because at the net, 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 you actually still only pay the 25 or 15% to Canada. So, so it is fantastic. But I really like that you mentioned California because they have, they're nasty when it comes to tax. Beautiful place <laughs> to live. But from a tax perspective, they're not friendly. They have the highest rate of state tax, as you mentioned. And here's something else. They do not respect the Canada-U.S. tax treaty which is such an important tool in all of the planning we do when Canadians move there. And here it hurts a little bit on the RSP because we all know RSP is tax-deferred income and you don't get taxed while, you're, while it's in there. Well, CRA does that. The IRS will also grant you the deferral while you're in the U.S. and you have your RSP, but California does not. So while you're leaving money in your RSP, which, of course, you will for some time while you're in the U.S., 
California will tax you on the ongoing income as a regular non-registered account. So, so that does bring – it's a very good point you raised, Mike, and there is a lot of complexity to these things. And this is just one issue, guys. This is the real fun one where you save a lot of money on the RSP, but there's other issues yeah. when you want to move to the U.S., like departure tax. That's a big one. Yeah, that's right. We can't do justice to the complexity of this, but I like, uh, like the fact that you've raised this, and it's, a, it's, an interesting, uh, it's an interesting avenue to explore for those that it might work, uh, work with. Matt, we've run out of time, so we're going to have to say goodbye at this point, but I appreciate you uh, taking some time with us today. Thanks for having me on, guys. Matt Altro is the president and CEO of MCA Cross-Border Advisors. Now, let's talk about cross-border advising and traveling and having fun in your retirement because that's part of the conversation in terms of lifestyle at our upcoming seminar. Yeah, traveling, doing those activities in your retirement are very Saving important. taxes if you can. Uh, absolutely, yeah. and how do you make sure you can afford that, pay for that, have that lifestyle for the rest of your life, making sure you don't run out of money. All these concerns come up, so we're going to address them and how to use our strategy to solve that problem on Tuesday, March 20th, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits. You need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or you can go online to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. And come back after the break. We're going to talk about how to pull all this together, enjoy that lifestyle, and a little bit more about what's going on in terms of positioning for retirement. After the break, you're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money here with Dave and Faisal. Um, you know, Faisal, we got to wrap up a, a, a pretty interesting show, but I, I got to tell you, I want to um, had lots of questions, comments um, about our show last week when we started the conversation about educating people around mm-hmm. um, how to how to choose an advisor at different stages of life. Like, how do you interview an advisor? Correct. Right. And um, lots of people, I got to tell you, I had lots of comments about, can you, can you expand on that? Can you help us with that? Because it's, this is a big thing. I mean, we talk about retirement all the time and clearly you can't get it wrong in retirement. This is, this is critically important, but there's, there's a series of things that I think that people should, should um, be armed with questions. They should come in. You talk about it, you know, at the seminar, don't come in and talk about the airy fairy stuff with us. Come in and talk to us about specific actions, behaviors, responses, to whatever it is that's bothering you. Yeah, I, I had some conversations with clients after they heard our, our piece and they, they were telling me, you know, we had to look around and find somebody who does what you guys do. Right. We had to um, search. Right. And we had to interview and we had to, uh, we had, you know, we had to have a, a bad experience to find out that we're having a good experience with right. you. And, and that's the, the unfortunate part of, of this industry. But I think when, you know, when we have this, this one piece in our, in our show talking about what you should be asking advisors, right. um, what you should be requesting them to do. Um, and, and are they meeting your needs is a very good piece. And I think it's a very important thing to think about. And it's not only in the, in the minds of a few, it's in the minds of all of them because we're, we're going through a, a really weird situation in people's lives where the economy is doing what it's doing. Canada's doing what it's doing taxes and, you're, you're aging, and there's a whole bunch of other – the complexity goes up, so yeah. you need to make sure you've got the right team. And that's what you're hiring for as a team. It's not just one person. It's not right. just an advisor on the money side. It's a wealth management team that can work with your legal and uh, a tax yep. group. that yep. can, And they have to work co- in a coordinated effect because you may not use your lawyer all the time, but at least every year you're using your accountant. Right. And then you also have your investments, and they're looking at the bigger picture and the goals and the objectives and trying to match everything – 
There needs to be a strategy in place and approach with all that. So let's 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 uh, maybe break it down a little bit more because people are asking me for some specifics. And here's what I want to say. Here's your homework. So when you're when you're going to go in and interview somebody, you've got to figure out what place you're coming from to interview. So here's your homework if you're going to go in and start interviewing uh, advisors. Is you need to think a little bit about as you know as a couple or an individual, whatever the case may be. Uh, but you need to think a little bit about what it, what your goals and objectives are, right? So if you're not armed with that, if I don't know if I'm going to go try to buy a car and I just want a car, I don't have any criteria. It's going to be pretty hard to find a car, right? You're gonna you could end You'll up find with, a lot. You, you could end you up won't sorry, know which you could one. end up with anything. That's yeah, right. Exactly. So what are the goals and objectives? So you want to you want to figure out what stage of life are you in, right? Are you accumulating wealth? Are you at you know child rearing years or uh, debt pay down years? You know got a lot of debt. Are you yeah. in retirement and you you need income? Where are you? Okay, what where is your where are you in the in the what financial life, life cycle? Yeah, what okay? stage of life are you in? Yep, right. Yep. Now once you figure that piece out, what what are the goals you're trying to achieve? Right in general terms, and you don't have to use finance terms for this, but you sit down and you think about, boy, I'd really like at the end of this period of time to be here. Right? What's the destination? And so here in, in our situation right. is people who come to us are saying they want to retire. They want to have income. They want to make sure their their, their taxes are low. They want to have an, uh, have somebody that they can rely on as their family's chief financial officer right. to handle the bigger picture stuff. Um, and, and unfortunately, um, not all advisors are created equal. Mm -hmm. Not all investment practices are created equal. Um, there are a lot of people say we do that too, right. um, and I would I would caution people who who hear that, um, and, and because y in your stage of life, whatever it may be, you need to ask: Are you looking for a specialist, or are you looking for a generalist? Right. And if you're looking for somebody, I think retirement because of the complexity, because of the multiple amount of goals that you have, that are beyond this just a mathematical equation. Right. Um, the complexity increases, and so you, are you looking for an, uh, a specialist? Then you need to ask, how are you at a specialist? Right. What makes you different? And I right? think that's uh, – when, when we say what makes you different, though, Dave, you'll hear about investment management process. Yes. Well, that's true. Right? That's a good point. T tell me how you're different. Well, I manage money differently. Right. Or right. I look at your goals to make sure your portfolio no, matches that's your right. goals. Like, good that's, point. That's very generic. Yeah. If you ask the question, what makes you a specialist in this? Better question. Then you've got a different conversation with that individual or that group. Anybody who asks us what what we do knows we're a specialized we are special we specialize in in this type of, of, of retirement transition and retirement planning. That's all we do. Right. And so it's a very interesting conversation when you talk to an average advisor and say, What do you specialize in? and just watch the reaction. Right. Because they have to be prepared to answer what they really specialize. Right. And you'll find that most don't. They're generalists. Right? Yeah, and, 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 and that's fine. Again, you might be at a stage of life where you need a generalist. It's like the first step in the process may be to go to your doctor who is a general practitioner, right? Correct. A family doctor. And that's okay. They can handle the general needs of a child all the way up to somebody that's older. But as soon as you get into some specialized needs, that doctor's job is to refer you off to a specialist. So know where you're at what you're trying to accomplish, then start asking questions around that. Now, if you've worked with different advisors and you've had good experiences, bad experiences, then you'll have some, exp uh, you'll have some experience to draw on to ask some specific questions. Mostly if it's good stuff, that's great. But if something went wrong, right, then this is where you want to ask some specific questions. Yeah. So what the typical questions that people get in our, in our industry, Dave, are 
Um, how many clients do you have? What kind of performance have you done? How do you get paid? What education background what do you fees? have? Yeah, all, all can you give me some questions. references yeah. of your three best yeah. clients that you love so that I can talk to them? Like those kind of generic questions. Right. What they fail to ask most of the time yeah. is how do you handle these types of circumstances. For example, major market volatility. If you're uneasy or you like to take it on, um, how does your advisor handle that from a, purely from an investment management perspective? Right. What's their investment management philosophy? The second part of it is, how active are you in understanding what's going on in the tax world? And what do you do to communicate the, tax, the changes in the tax code to your clients? Because every dollar of additional tax I have to pay is less dollars in my pocket, yep. which means my lifestyle is impacted in some way. Correct. Okay, so that's the second part. What about as I age? What strategies and approaches do you have in place to make sure that as I age, you are with me every step of the way? Mm -hmm. And the last one is how do you make sure that when, I, when I'm no longer part of this earth, uh, on this earth, that, that I have had a strategy in place to pass on my assets to the people that I care about? Yeah, and, and I would add to that, there's a big one around income. So how do you structure uh, the receipt of my income? Right? People, you, you and I talk about this all the time. Um, one of the impacts that people have, uh, one of the parties typically in a couple is the loss of the monthly paycheck when we retire really psychologically affects people. Correct. What's the structure that you have right uh, in place to give me that monthly um, income in a predictable, sustainable, and tax-efficient way? And you said volatility earlier. So that, but I'm not subject to the wild swings in the market. And you've nailed it by saying two words, predictable and sustainable. Right. Because I'll tell you right now, when you look at, there are companies out there that have been paying dividends for decades, yeah. and, and I invest in a whole bunch of them, but they're not for the income for your retirement. They're Correct. for growth. Yeah. And, and when you start taking on risk of, of your income, the cash flow you're going to receive, yep. no one wants to receive cash flow and run out of money. Right. They all want to see cash flow without huge volatility. Right. So you need it to be predictable. You need it to be sustainable and to the highest extent tax efficient. Right. And so there, those are the things that you need to ask. What is your strategy? What else is out there? And why aren't you using those strategies? Right. Right. So no, no different that when you're, when you're looking at, at renovating your house, you look at how do you build something or how do you put something in your home yeah. and why aren't you using that technique or that type of material and they should be able to answer those kind of questions and so I think we're getting more and more um, educated investors out there educated individuals but I think they forget to ask those challenging questions to advisors about what are you going to do what what makes you a specialist how do you differ in your investment philosophy does it match what my philosophy right. is I was just gonna say it's perfect yeah. there's gonna be people who say when the markets are going haywire you're gonna go to cash right you're gonna go hundred percent cash right and if they say no, but you really feel that that needs to be done, then you need to think about, is that the right team for you? Right. And are they going to be keeping you up to date with what goes on in the world from an economics, from a market, from a tax, from a political? What are the risks? If they don't educate you and inform you along the way, then how do you know that they're in line with what you're in line with? Yeah, it, this is really critical. So as industry guys, I think we have an obligation as, as along with the rest of the industry to educate, right? This is 
So there's going to be a range of people that we talk to. The questions that you know we, we're, we're posing today are questions that everybody can ask, right? Now, those that maybe are a little more savvy in terms of finance, um, you can go a little deeper into the investment structures and yep. so on and so forth. And you know, we're happy to give you a bunch of questions you can ask in that area to make sure it's in alignment with you, right? Can, can I add one thing, though, Dave? Yeah. I think what people forget when they're building their retirement portfolios is to ask their advisor, how is this suitable for me? Right. Because people who come to us on, on many occasions have been burnt in the market. Right. And the volatility they've taken or the bad experiences they've had in the markets, you look at that and you say, okay, in your situation today, would you have been in that investment? Probably not because it's not suitable right. for you. And I think um, investors need to ask their advisors, how is this investment strategy suitable? What are the risks am I taking? And how did you determine what risk I'm willing to take on the downside? Mm -hmm. And I think once they have that understanding, um, then then you can meet eye to eye because low risk was last year, uh, for example, was 100% stocks. Right. Because there was no volatility, right? But those same, wow. those same stocks fell 50% in the U.S. market in 2008. So right. last year was a great year to have no volatility. But if you have a bad, a bad year like 2008, so how is 100% stock suitable? Right. Like, and you need to answer that question as an advisor. And you need to ask that question as, a, as an investor and find right. out, is that the right approach and strategy to you? Yeah, and, I, and we, harp on strategy, uh, we uh, harp on strategy a lot. And I think it's absolutely critical. There's going to be different periods of time where things behave differently, but it has to meet the long term, particularly in retirement. Like we're not talking about, you know, a one year objective here. We're talking about a 20, 30, 35 year objective that we have to meet in terms of lifestyle. Right. Yeah. So, again, stage of life is really critical when you start thinking about these things. Right? And I really believe every stage of life should have a specialist. I yeah. do not believe and that's just me. This is my own personal opinion. It's not our team's opinion or the, or the, or the firm or anybody that, or, the, or the station. But my opinion is, um, you know, if you're going through, if you have a, you know, a brand new child and you're struggling to decide between saving for the child's education, RSPs, paying down your debt, you need someone who specializes right. in that. Right. You can't have a generalist who will just say, yeah, generally you should do that. Right. Rules right? of thumb, right? Rules of thumb. Those yeah, are scary. I, I, and those are scary because it may not be your thumb that they're having the rule on. Right? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> so, so I think in every stage of life, you need some sort of specialist. It's yeah. the, we've, we've just been accustomed to people saying, ah, he's my guy or she's my gal and right. they'll take care of me. Uh, do they specialize in what you need? Yeah, yeah, that's well said. Okay, uh, let's leave it at that. We'll probably have more conversations about that. If you have questions, you can send them in to us through our um, More the Money website. We'd be happy to help you, uh, you know, put some of those questions together. We do have an upcoming seminar, though, because we're going to address a very specific stage of life, which is transitioning to or living in retirement. That's right. On Tuesday, March 20th, 7 p.m., at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits, you need to reserve your seats for this. 966-8400 is the phone number. 966-8400. Or you can go online and register at morethanmoneyradio.com. Okay. And as we wrap it up, don't forget that you can get any of our past segments at morethanmoneyradio.com or have them delivered directly to you by searching for More Than Money CHQR on iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. 
David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.